Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, presented by Canon Press. This week's episode is a sermon from Andrew Isker entitled, The Kingdom of God at War, from his series, The Heir Claims His Vineyard, Sermons on Matthew. Listen to the full series now on Canon Plus. Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, and do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good for those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be, the son, be sons of your Father in heaven." For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore... You shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken. We thank you that that you've spoken in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that he instructs us how we are to live in his kingdom. He teaches us how he wants us to live in it is good, even when it, he says hard and difficult things. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, that your, your spirit would be upon us and, and teaching us and shaping us and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So this, this passage is, is one that is, is very familiar to a lot of people, uh, not just to believers, not just to Christians, but most non-Christians are at least familiar with some of the things that are said in here. And many people think, many people think that Jesus' words here uh, mean that you must be absolutely committed to total and complete non-violence. Right? Many people think that, that Jesus' words here mean that you must be a pacifist. You must be completely committed to never doing any violence to another human being um, at all, ever. And I, I don't think this is what Jesus is saying. I don't think this is true. And, and I hope to, to show you in the, in the next uh, you know, couple minutes that this is not only this is not true, uh, but that this misreading of Jesus' words actually really badly undercuts what he actually is teaching, what he actually is teaching. 
Uh, Jesus is not commanding us to be pacifists or hippies in his word here. He, he actually is commanding you to be something far, far more powerful than that. Uh, far more powerful than, than someone who, who does war, even. Uh, far more powerful and far more redemptive. So, in your Bibles, looking again at verse 38, Jesus, as he's done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, continues to give the same formula. Right? You have heard X, but I say Y. Right? And he, he quotes uh, the Old Testament law that is called the Lex, lex Talionis. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And a lot of people, when they, when they come to this, especially when they come to the Sermon on the Mount, they think, oh, and, oh what, a, what a terrible, horrible thing. What a barbaric law taking someone's eye. Oh, that's, that's just awful. Barbarism. Right? That's what people, usually when they hear that, that's what they, they think. But, well, it's not really the right perspective to have, just to start out with, just with this, this verse. First of all, because it's a command of God. Right? God spoke in his word. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Right? God gives this command. Um, and secondly, everything that God commands is purposeful. He gives these commands for a reason. Not, not for no reason. He gives it for a reason. And ancient men, just like modern men, were and are violent. Were and are violent. And the, the prototypical ancient man is found in Genesis chapter 4. He was a descendant of the very first murderer, Cain. And his name was Lamech. And he told his wives in Genesis chapter 4, For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Right? Sinful men, wicked men, right? they don't want an eye for an eye. They want 77 eyes for an eye. Right? That's how wicked men are. The wicked escalate conflict. They make it worse. And so God, by instituting this law, the law of an eye for an eye, the lex talionis, God is limiting retribution. Right? This, is a, this is a law that isn't endorsing, isn't saying, yeah, go out and take, you know, kill as many people as you can, you know, uh, take as many eyes as you can and hands and teeth and everything else. No, God is saying, only what was taken from you and no more. Only what was taken from you and no more. So it's a, it's a principle of justice that God gives. And it's a law, the intention of which is to, is to bring peace. Is to bring peace. Right? Only this and no more. No escalation. That's what God says. But what's going on here? What is Jesus saying? Right? Remember, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he qualifies everything he says by saying, I haven't come to destroy the law. Right? God's law is good. God's law is good and just. I'm not coming to destroy it. I'm coming to fulfill it. I'm coming to fulfill it. I'm coming to fulfill God's law. So what does he mean by this when he says, you've heard an eye for an eye, but I say this. Right, is he destroying the lex talionis by what he says next? When he says, don't, in the next verse, in verse 29, he says, don't resist an evil person. That. Some of this is, is confusing because um, there's some issues with translation, right? That particular verse is subject to a lot of, lot of different possible translations. Greek doesn't just go one-to-one into English so easily, right? You could translate it as, don't resist an evil person, right? That, 
that translation grammatically works, but it doesn't really fit the context, does it? It doesn't really fit what Jesus did. You remember, in the wilderness, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus is resisting the devil, right? So why would he say, don't resist, don't resist evil, or don't resist an evil person? A better, a better translation is, don't resist by doing evil, right? Don't resist by doing evil, right? That's, that would be much better. So it means res- resist, but not by evil means, right? That's what Jesus is saying. That makes more sense. And it makes more sense of what he says in the next few verses, in the next few verses, right? So many people take the next few verses as meaning, again, like I said, if you're a Christian, then you have to be a pacifist. You have to never do violence ever. You may never employ violence under any circumstance ever, right? That's what the conclusion that people reach from this, right? They hear, turn the other cheek, and that means, right, if a, if a gang of men come to attack your wife and children, well, you simply just have to let them because Jesus says turn the other cheek. Right? That's, that's, that's the conclusion a lot of people draw from, from what he says there. But Jesus is not commanding that. He's not commanding that. That's, that, that kind of thinking really is, is, is monstrous. So what is he commanding then? Right, if he's not commanding pacifism, what is he commanding? Right, to, to start with, um, imagine a scenario like that happens. Right? Your, your family is attacked, your wife and children are attacked and, and brutally murdered by this gang of people, or worse. Right? You're unable to defend them, they leave you and they make you watch, and, that, and then they leave. Right? And this, you might think, well, this is kind of a hypothetical. It's not a mere hypothetical. This kind of thing happens to Christians in places like Nigeria, all the time. Right? This is going on right now. Right? People, in, particularly in Nigeria, their daughters are, are kidnapped, their wives are kidnapped to become slaves uh, by, by Muslim militants, and their families are murdered in their, before their eyes. Right? So if such a thing were to happen to you, right, you, might, you might really want to hunt those men down and not just kill them, but, but do the same thing that was done to you. Kill everybody that they love. Right? That's what you would, like, in your flesh, in, in, your, in your own desire for retribution, you would want that. I want to get back at these men that did this evil thing. Right? You would want an eye for an eye. You want the same thing done to you, done to them. Right? So what is Jesus commanding here? Not pacifism, not, not defending the innocent. He's commanding us to not return evil for evil. He's commanding us not to return evil for evil. He's commanding his people to end cycles of violence. So ending these cycles of violence, this doesn't happen by by making yourself a a passive victim. So if somebody insults you, this is the point that he makes. Somebody insults you by slapping you on the face. According to the Lex Talionis, or somebody slaps you on the face, what are you entitled to do? Slap them back. That's right. A slap for a slap. Right? You're not, what does the Lex Talionis limit? Right? It doesn't let you punch them in the nose for the slap. Right? You can't escalate. Right? Men, that's what we want to do. If somebody slaps you, bam! Pop them in the nose, right? That's what we want to do. Can't do that. God's law limits us just to slapping them back. 
Right? But what is Jesus saying here? Right? He's saying that that law is going to get fulfilled. The lex talionis is going to get fulfilled. Right? He's not saying don't do nothing. Don't just take the slap and walk away. Right? He's saying that second slap that you deserve to give to that guy, you offer from yourself to him. Right? There is going to be a second slap. And you're going to be the one to take it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's fulfilling the law. Right? He's not destroying the law of the lex talionis. He's not destroying the law of an eye for an eye. He's saying it's going to be fulfilled by yourself. Right? You're going to be the one that fulfills it. There's going to be a second slap and you are going to bear that cost. Right? Jesus, instead of commanding us to be passive and be a victim, he is instructing us to take command, to take an active role and to ask to bear the slap, the insult that our adversary deserves. And again, this is not a scenario where where death or grave bodily injury is on the line that Jesus sets up. He's, He's not talking about getting beat to within an inch of your life or being, you know, threatened with your life. Right? He's not commanding his people to forego self-defense here. Right? Later, later on in the, in the Gospel of, of Luke, he tells his, his followers, take up, take up a sword when you, when you go out. Right? What, what's the point of that? Right? Just to have a, a symbolic thing there? Or to be able to defend yourself when you're out against bandits? Well, well the latter, of course, is true. The latter, of course, is true. And then he continues on. It gives the example of someone sues you, right? Someone sues you to take your clothes, right? To take your tunic, right? That's actually something God's law forbids. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to take someone's tunic, right? Not, not permanently, right? Only for part of a day, right? But you're not able to take possession of it, right? Rather than countersue, right? Because you're not allowed to do that. And what, if you countersue, you are able to take it, right? What's... He attempts to do to you, you're able to do to him if you countersue. You would win that suit. Right? But instead, instead of not suing him back, or instead of being a victim, Jesus says, no, that countersuit is going to happen. And it's going to be against yourself. Right? Give him your, the rest of your clothes also. Right? In the same way, two articles of clothes are here. And just with the slap, the law of an eye for an eye is fulfilled by you. By you. We're to give him our coat also. And again, I, I cannot stress this enough. The point here is really the opposite of what a lot of people want to make Jesus' words to say here. Uh, the point here is the opposite of that. He's not saying go be a pushover. Like go get smacked around by people. Right? Just just wallow all the time and be a victim. Jesus is not saying that. He's not trying to build a kingdom of weaklings and whips. Right? He's commanding us to actively pursue peace by willingly bearing the cost of ending conflict. Right? That's what he is he's saying. To do that is not weakness. It's not wimpiness. It is strength to be able to do that, to do what he does. Right? Ending conflict at great cost to yourself. Right, that's what Jesus commands. And the next few verses are, are also similar. Follow the same pattern. In, in, those days, in those days, Israel was occupied by Rome. 
They're occupied by Rome. And the Roman soldiers, they could legally, according to their law, compel their subject peoples to bear their gear for up to a mile. Right? So if the Romans are marching down the road and they see you, they could say, hey, you, take my stuff. And from that mile marker, they could make you carry it all the way to the next one. Right? They could interrupt your day, all the, whatever you're doing. You're coming with me. You're taking my stuff here to the next mile. Right? So you, you can imagine how, how much of a, of a kick these big Roman brutes would get out of making random Jews carry their stuff. Right? You, can, you can just imagine what it would be like. Right? You can maybe imagine, maybe harder to imagine this, but imagine if the United States was an occupied country. Right? If we lived in an occupied country, and say we had Chinese soldiers marching up and down our streets. They're occupied by China. And they're marching up and down our streets. Now you can imagine how much fun those Chinese soldiers would have if they said, hey, you, you know, grab my stuff. Grab my stuff and carry it for a mile. Right? And as you pick it all up and you're trudging it along, all these soldiers, a group of them, start mocking you and laughing at you in Chinese to each other. Imagine how humiliating that would be. Imagine what that would be like. Right? Just, just the shame of being an occupied people, but then having it rubbed in your face like this. Right? You, would, you would feel humiliated. Right? You would feel humiliated. You'd feel humiliated for your country. Right? All of the, the, the red-blooded Americanism we have would burn inside of us to have to do that. Right? You would long for a day when you could drive out those foreign invaders. And on, your way, on, on their way out, you'd long for a day where you make them carry your stuff. Right? That's what you would want. That would, after all, be justice. Right? Making them carry your stuff. Humiliating them after they've been defeated. But what does Jesus say in this situation? He says, yes, there is going to be justice done. That second mile that you are owed from them, it's going to be paid. And who's going to pay for it? You are. You are. Why? Because he wants us to be wimps and pushovers and just cower before these Romans or these Chinese or whomever, before an oppressor? No. No. In fact, this is something that restores your dignity after being humiliated. It restores you because you're taking an active role. Right? They can't, they're not making you do this anymore. You are ending a cycle of retribution and violence. You're ending it. Right? So rather than lying down as a victim because you, you have no control, you're doing it because you have to, right? you turn the humiliation done to you by your enemy into vindication. Right? So I mean, imagine the scenario again. How would those Chinese soldiers react, the ones that are laughing and mocking the whole time, if once you get to the end of that mile, you keep going? And you're well into the second mile and you keep going. Right? They would, they would, all, they would look at each other. What is going on here? Why, what is, why is this guy doing? They would be confused. They would not understand what is happening. They would not understand how you're returning good to them for evil. It, it would not compute in their minds. Right? You would no longer be the victim of mockery and abuse. You would be actively undermining it. Right? That's what's going on here. That's what Jesus is commanding. And Jesus goes on and presents the same formula again that he has throughout the sermon. You've heard X, but I tell you why. And this time he combines 
Leviticus 19.18 combines part of God's word with, with, with what isn't, with what is just generally known or natural to men. Right? Leviticus 19.18 says, you shall love your neighbor, and then he combines it with, and hate your enemy. Right? That's, of course, that's a conclusion you could reach from loving your, being commanded to love your neighbor. Well, it's natural to hate your enemy. That's what men naturally do. But what does Jesus say to do? To love your enemy. To love your enemy. Of course, one of the things that people tend to think, especially when they misread Jesus' words here, is, well, that mean, loving your enemy means not having any enemies. But if you love your enemy, you're just never going to have any enemies. <laughs> That's just simply not true. That's not true. You have all sorts of enemies. All sorts of enemies. Particularly, the more you love your enemies, they, they tend to pop up even more. Right, they tend to pop up. But this is the point. To not return curses for curses, but return blessings for curses. Right? Jesus wants us to treat our enemies not how they deserve to be treated, but better than they deserve to be treated. Right? Those who persecute you, those who use you, those who, who mistreat you and abuse you, you can either take it and wish, if you had the power, to give it back to them, or you can love them despite the evil that they do. Right? The former, anybody can do. Anybody can just be a victim and burn with anger and bitterness. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Anyone can do that. But true, true strength, true power is actively doing good to those who are doing you evil. Right? It completely ends, it completely arrests and stops the cycle and ends it forever. That, that's done. And it's completely the opposite of how a world of sinful men behave. Right? Because no one wants to pay that cost themselves. They want other people to pay for it. They want other people to pay for it. But what does Jesus say? If you do this, you are like, you are, not just like, but you are sons of your Father in heaven. Right? You are maturing to be like God. What is God like? What does he say God is like? God could have arranged the world in such a way that the, the sun shines and the rain falls only on those who do good. Only on those who obey him. Right? He could have arranged this world in such a way. like he's, he's God. He's in charge. He's in control. He can do whatever he wants. He could have made the world to be such a place where, where the wicked and the evil and everybody who does terrible stuff to other people get instant karma the second they do it, right? Instantly they feel God's wrath the second they do something bad. Right? God could have made the world that way. But instead, through much long suffering, he gives life and goodness and grace even to those who hate him. Right? Even to people who hate him, he shows kindness to. Think about that. That's the way God is. That's the way God is. He can, he can instantly destroy everybody who does evil in the exact moment they do it, or even before they do it. He can do that. He can do that, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He allows them to persist. Right? Their existence is sheer unmerited grace. And of course, so is ours. 
We do not deserve to know him. We do not deserve his goodness. We were born his enemies, yet he loved us. That is what God is like. And so it's easy, very easy to love only those who love us in return. Right? Anybody can do that. Right? You can think of them, the, just the, the people you know, or the nastiest, most vindictive people that you have encountered in your lives. Right? People like that, they can do that. They can love people that love them. Right? They do. Right? Jesus says, even the extortionist thugs who serve the Romans. Right? We call them tax collectors, but it's, of course, when we read that in the Bible, it's not really what they were like. They were more like gangsters. That, that came by and broke your kneecaps if you didn't pay up. Right? They weren't like IRS agents, bureaucrats or something. They were, they were more like mobsters. Right? They, they were extortionists. And Jesus says, even those guys, even these mobsters, right, they do that. They love people that love them. Even they love people who love them. Right? Yet so, so many people right, think they're a good person or that they're full of love. I just... I'm all about love. Right? You, you, you all know people like this. I'm all about love. Right? That are absolutely incapable of loving those who don't love them, who don't return love for them. Now you can think of like how many homes people are adorned with signs about love all over the place. Oh, I'm all about love. Or live, laugh, love. Right? How many homes like that? But they're occupied by people who are only capable of loving those who love them first. So many places like that. So many people that define themselves about, as being all about love. Or they'll say, hate has no home here. Right? So many people like that who will strike with maximum vindictiveness when someone injures them in the very least. Right? So many of us are like that. But Jesus says to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Right, to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Right, and translation is, is kind of tricky here. Right? We, we hear the word perfect in English, and it means perfect, completely sinless, because God's completely sinless. Right? Be perfect that way. Have, have nothing wrong with us whatsoever. Right? Never sinning. Right? Is Jesus commanding that? Is he saying, you have to be perfect to be in my kingdom? He's not, he's not doing that. He's not setting this impossible standard for human beings. The word that gets translated as perfect actually really just means mature or complete. Right? It means reaching adulthood. Right? If you used it in Greek, it would mean, okay, you know, a child growing up into a man or a tree or an acorn growing up into a big oak tree. Right? That's what it, it reaches this you know, teleological point, reaches the end point. That's what the word means. Really, a better way to translate it would be, be mature like our Heavenly Father is mature. That's a much better way to understand it. To be mature like our Heavenly Father is mature. Be mature like a a big, big oak tree. Or a vine that's finally, after many years, able to produce grapes for wine. Be mature. Be mature. Be mature. And what is, what is that maturity like? We're to be mature like Jesus is. Right? That maturity is, is what? It's to be people that are so filled with love 
that we actually love those who do us harm. We actually love them and show them love that, that do bad stuff to us. Right? That's what he, he says. And of course, we can always think, well, you know, if someone did some evil, terrible crime to me or to my family, I guess I could forgive them, figure a way to forgive them. But uh, what he, he's not just talking about big things. He's not just talking about big things. He's also talking about little things. Right? Petty grudges and feuds. Are you saying you're able to end those things? These little petty grudges of you, you deal with those things all the time, every day, probably at, at work or with, with family members or friends. Right? Petty things that you can take offense, or someone else takes offense at you and does something back to you. Right? We all deal with these things all the time. And Jesus says you can you can end those things. You can end those things, but it's not easy. It comes at a cost. Right? You're able to stop them even before they begin. Not just by not taking offense. This, this is the thing. It's not just like, oh, letting, being a stoic and letting it be water off a duck's back. Right? He's not saying that. He's saying actively, actively turn the other cheek. Say, when, they, when they give offense to you, intentionally give offense to you, right? hold out the other cheek and say, is there anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> yes, that's all true. What else would you like to say? Right? right? Be, be willing to bear it. Be willing to bear it. That's how it ends. Right? That's how these cycles end. Otherwise, it just goes, it's just tit for tat. Go right, run. They say something, you say something back. Right? Then they say something back to you at a more opportune time. And then you wait to strike, boom, and then you do. He says, end it. End it. It's not, it's, and it's easy to say. It's, it's very easy to want to get back at people. Right? But he's commanding us to show them kindness they do not deserve because that's what he does. Right? That's what he does. We, we deserve God's wrath and anger. We deserve an eternity of hell. And Jesus, who did not deserve it, bore that for us. Right? That's, that's what happens. So people, and that's, this is how we can understand the cross, too. Right? Not that no justice is being done. Right, this is something that people get hung up on a ton is, well, how does that work? God just lets you off the hook. And how does that work? Well, actually, the lex talionis, the eye for an eye, is fulfilled in the cross. Right? It isn't, God doesn't just erase the debt, say, oh, it's gone. Right? It gets paid. It gets paid. It gets paid in full by himself, by his son. Right? That's, that's how he fulfills the law. And that's the pattern our lives are supposed to have, is to be like him, is to bear those costs for other people in the same way that he bears them for us. Right? That is how we're to be mature, like Jesus. That is how God wants us to be like. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the full series, The Heir Claims His Vineyard, Sermons on Matthew. Available now on Canon Plus. Just click the link in the show notes to start listening today.